Yeah, this is just an imitation. It's not in conflict with anything. It's not as a replacement for anything. It's just one particular member of AA's view of what the program looks like to him. And I'm just going to share it with you. Uh, one of the most important parts of the book to me is on page 64, where we're going to be entering into the, the uh, inventory process, which is a major process in this program. And it starts out on this paragraph, it says, being convinced, which I found in the dictionary means to believe with certainty, being convinced that self, and my feeling of a self is it's the sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's the mind is identified as a body. It's very important. That's how I view it. So being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. So in my view, Bill W. separates the two, self and us. And when I looked at how self defeated me, and if we asked everyone in this room what defeated them, they'd have the same answer. And it isn't self, but it would be myself, yeah? M-Y. So to me, it isn't self that defeats me. I don't believe self bonds me to self. I believe I'm bonded to self because I'm identified as it. Yeah? I believe I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, primarily a body. And in that situation, the best I can do is hope to have, as a body, a spiritual condition. That's the best I can hope for. I'm going to try to graft on a spiritual condition to this body. But in my experience, my, the spiritual awakening, that was an event in my life that's been lasting for quite a while, was that I am a spiritual condition. So it says in our book, our daily reprieve is based on a contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Well, I found the best way to maintain a spiritual condition is to know you are one. And the way I knew I was one was recognizing I'm not what I thought I was. So in the book it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways or appeared in life in various ways is what has defeated us. We will now look at its, meaning selves, yeah, that's the wording. We will now look at its common manifestations. So some of the common appearances of self into life through me are, the next paragraph starts with the word resentment. And then we go into fear, and then we look at harms done to others by looking at our sexual behavior. So the way I interpret this statement is that when I do an inventory process, I'm doing an inventory on self's expressions into life, not my expressions. And this is why I believe the root of the problem, humbly, isn't obsession with self, it's identification as self. Because every time I think of a resentment, I think of it as my resentment. So I'm identified as the owner or the haver of the resentment when actually it is self-expression through me. Yeah? Every time I talk about fear, I think it's my fear. That word my is my act of being identified with the fear, and yet fear is really an expression of self in my life. And all the acting out that I did, I keep claiming to be mine and having tons of guilt and shame for it, but in fact, the acting out was motivated by my identification as a self. Because the identification as a self is a mental process. This is just a humble opinion, but your mind is making up the sense of being a self. Yeah? So the mental process, I call it, is selfing. 
you know, you ever get it, some of your daily narrative? It sound, it's just insane, isn't it? So the mind is selfing. So that is a verb. The mind is selfing. It's a mental process. The mental process makes up a feeling of being a self. Yes. So the verb of selfing causes you to feel you're a noun, a self, a body. So your life now starts from this as being the center of your life. It's called self-centeredness. So most of us are, as alcoholics, to me, I think alcoholism is an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. Everyone is self-centered in this world, but we're an extreme example of self-centeredness because we're excessively concerned and obsessed with this idea of being a self. <laughs> so, so what you call the obsession with self, in my view, is the, is the daily reinforcement of the identification of self. That's why I don't think anyone gets lasting relief when they deal with the problem as obsession with self. Because it's just an effect of the real problem, which is your identified as self. So when I looked at it this way, and I did an inventory on it, I could do a fearless and thorough inventory. Why? Because it wasn't about me. Yeah? I had no vested interest in hiding the facts about this idea called self. To me, self is like a parasite, or alcoholism is like a parasite. So here we are sitting, and there's all these unique hosts, yes? You and I and everything like that. And if, when I first came to AA, this is what happened. I was in a very big cloud of terminal uniqueness. I didn't know it. That's how you're in it. And I thought that all, no one else ever had a thought like I had. No one else ever felt like I felt, and no one definitely never did what I did, all these heinous acts. So I came into AA, and I sat in the rooms, and I listened to people share their thoughts, their feelings, and their reactions. And after about a month or two, I could come, come up with only two conclusions. Either everyone has my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions life, or they're not mine. Yes, that's the solution. <laughs> because you and I, everyone here is a unique host. And what I'm identifying with you is not who you are, but what's taking you over. Because the same parasite has taken me over. And if you go to anywhere in the world, and you go to an AA meeting in India or something like that, you will probably not identify with who's in the meeting, but you'll definitely identify with what's taking them over. It's almost like a possession. So to me, alcoholism is a parasite that takes over the host. Yeah? So you forget your spiritual condition, because that's what you are, and you take on an image that you're a body that's being presented by the mental process, which is infected with alcoholism. See, this disease isn't like cancer. It doesn't manifest in the cells. It manifests in the mental process. So the mental process, which is producing a sense of self, that, that thing it's producing is infected with alcoholism. Yes? So when I look at life, I see how it pertains to me. I can't see how it pertains to you. When I'm thinking, all my thoughts are self-centered thoughts. They can't escape the system that they're a product of. Yeah. So self, if it's made up by a mental process, that's why self can't get out of self. How could a product of mental process leave the process? The experience of leaving the process is the recognition I'm not a self. That's it. That's what happened. When I recognized I'm not a self, the solution to the tons of dilemmas I have being identified as a self changed because I saw the problem as imaginary. Yeah? 
if I, if I have an imaginary problem, in other words, all my solutions are about what a terrible time I'm having as a self, if I apply that, all those solutions about how to be better as a self here, and there's thousands of them, yeah, just trying to get a little bearability out of the unbearability, maybe you won't flip out at the next barbecue you go to, or maybe you'll be able to go out and, you know, go with someone for a month, you know, date without flipping out, or maybe you'll go back to school, these giant, giant successes, you know, you get a little relief, but you're never freed from the bondage of self, never. You have to constantly, constantly work at it. But if you're not a self, that's the freedom from self, to me, in my experience. So, here I am, seeing all these, I'm, I'm trying to find all these solutions, but I'm applying them to an imaginary problem. I am not a self. And the solution to that imaginary problem is recognizing it's imaginary. <laughs> That's what it is for me. So I entertained this invitation, and the tree, the fruit pointed out the tree. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. And so I started to travel lighter for quite a long period of time, and my condition outshined my circumstances and situations in life. My condition was not based on the circumstances and situations, so I wasn't doing great when I was at a retreat and then doing terrible at work. I wasn't the one that was doing great at the retreat, nor am I the one that's doing terrible at work. That's the freedom from the bondage of self. Because when you're bonded to self, you're going to have good and bad times. You can't escape the coin of this realm. It's two-sided. Yeah? You can, no matter how many times you cut that coin, it's still going to be two-sided. So... If you think you're feeling great, you're going to feel terrible. If you believe you did something to attain something, you'll believe you can do something to lose it. That's not peace to me. Peace is prior to having and losing. So, when I saw it this way, this was a revolutionary solution to me because I would listen to people share and I could see the active presentation of the disease right where the solution was supposed to be. They kept claiming self-expressions as their own. That's called identification as self. Yeah? So here's the way I presented it, in a way, a little picture. So let's say I have a beautiful house with a really nice lawn, and I really like that lawn. Really like it. I have a lot of barbecues on it, and, you know, I play, you know, lawn bowling, whatever, croquet, and... I, you know, I run around in the morning, in the morning dew with no shoes on, and the lawn is a really big part of my life. And then one day, I step off my porch without any shoes on, I step in a big pile of shit. So as soon as I step in the shit, my life sort of gets smaller as a reaction to that shit, I've got to start wearing shoes. There's no more running around in the morning dew without any shoes on. Yeah? So immediately, the shit on the lawn is having an effect on my what? Experiencing the lawn. So I get up, and I, like most alcoholics, I just go in and ignore it with the hopes that it will go away. <laughs> a couple hours later, I go back out, and I want to go on the lawn, and I jump out, and I remember where that shit is, so I don't jump there, and I step in some more shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ, and then I realize the lawn's smelling, you know, there's a lot of shit, and I look around, there's shit all over the place. So I decide, I just walk up out of the porch, and I pull all the sh blinds down, and now I start collecting pictures of lawns. I sit in my little room, and I reminisce how great it was when I had a lawn, even though the lawn is right there, but I can't access it because it's full of shit. So then I invite other people, and we, you know, we mourn the loss of the lawns, and we watch, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Look at all that blue grass, and it's all this reminiscing, but there's no accessing the lawn anymore. So then someone comes into my house, 
and not someone to say, hey, listen, I think I have a solution to your problem. Now, because I'm suffering from the problem, I'm open to the solution. And they say, listen, if you can learn how to use pooper scoopers, yeah, you'll get to a point where at least a little bit of your lawn will be brought back to its pristine state, and maybe you can have, you will be the only one who will be able to be at the picnic, but at least you'll have like a two-by-five piece of lawn that will be clean for a little bit of time. So then you use one pooper scooper, but the shit's overriding the effect of the pooper scooper. So now you get two pooper scoopers, and you're getting pretty good. You're picking up the shit pretty fast, and this and that and that and this. And other people who are suffering from the same dilemma start hearing about you. And so they start calling you to give them ideas about how to clean up their lawn and their shit. And you're like, you're, you're having like signature pooper scoopers selling them now. Yeah. And you're a circuit speaker, you're talking about how to clean up a lawn, and everyone's looking up to you, and you are now, yourself is now identified as a pooper scooper. Yeah? So the point is, the lawn isn't still isn't clean, you have little bits of time, yeah, when there's a little bit of uh, entertaining, but basically the condition is just like in alcoholism. You're irritable, restless, and discontent. That's the underlying condition. Every once in a while you feel okay. But in fact, the underlying condition overrides all those moments of okayness because it seems to be a lasting unease, dis-ease, and irritability. And if you don't believe you're in it, check out how much seeking you're doing. How much day during the day are you looking for freaking relief? in most of your activities. If you're looking for relief, there must be a belief you need relief. So here we are. So then one day some guy comes in and says, hey, I think I have a solution. I said, I'm not really looking for a solution. I found my solution. I'm great at pooper scooping. And and actually, my, my, my position in life is really based on shit on the lawn. That's my identification. I'm a circuit speaker. I'm really good at this and this and that. So I really don't want to hear this solution. He says, okay, well, whatever. Maybe one day you'll want to entertain it. And he sa- I said, okay, what is it? And he's, as he's walking out, he says, find the dog. <laughs> what? Find the dog. What do you mean? Well, if you get rid of the dog, there goes the shit. The shit isn't falling from the skies. It's coming from something, yes? So the solution to me... The pooper scooping is a good temporary solution, but the real solution is find the dog. The unfortunate thing, you're identified as the dog. You can't entertain being free of the dog because you're identified as the parasite. You cannot entertain being free of it. All you can entertain is therapizing it and making it a little better and giving you a little break and, you know, maybe socializing it so it doesn't flip out every freaking day. But basically, you can't entertain being free of it because you're identified as it. This is what happens. When I recognize I'm not that, I could entertain being free of it, radically free of it. Because if you get rid of the dog, see, I love fear inventories, but my whole point of fear inventory is the hope that it will become obsolete. Because if I outgrow fear, I don't need to do any inventories on fear. That's my solution. Like it says on page 84, I want to see the problem as if it doesn't exist for me. Now that's a damn good solution to the problem of alcoholism. If the problem doesn't exist for you, you are inherently free at that moment. Not that you will be free later, or you were free years ago, but right now, you're actively traveling later. Right now. Freedom now. From what? The bondage to self. The bonding agent is on your and my side. It's our identification with self and its expressions that bind us to it. Seriously. I've, this is my humble invitation because 
I verified it by living the invitation, the message. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, yeah? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to hope that if I go on a retreat, retreat that I'm going to feel better. I want to feel better while I'm thinking about going on the retreat. Yeah? I don't want the retreat to be the cause of me feeling better. I'm the cause of me feeling better. And that cause is always available at all times. It's right where you are. In a sense, you know, if I don't know if, you know, I grew up Catholic, and in Catholic school they would teach you three things about supposed God, yeah, which was it's omniscient, it's omnipresent, and it's, um, it's all-knowing. All-knowing, all, always, it's everywhere, all-knowing, and all-powerful. Then why aren't you feeling it if it's everywhere? Why aren't you feeling the presence of this higher power if it's everywhere? You must believe you're in a special somewhere. That special somewhere is being identified as a self. The self separates you from that, if you want to call it God, and then the self plays God. Like it says in our book, the how and why of the whole principle of AA is to quit playing God. It doesn't work. How do you play God? Well, let's say you're, you're thinking about looking for God. You're thinking that you want to launch a, a search for God. Yeah. Now, what tells you you're getting closer or far away from that God? Your head. Yeah. I would say the head's playing God more than God. If the head's telling you that... It's going to let you, it's going to tell you if you have access to God or not. I would say that's the bigger God in your life, wouldn't you? So quit playing God. When I used to wake up in the morning, I would think I knew what the day was going to be. That's playing God. When I look at you and I think I know you, that's playing God. When I listen to its take on how I was, how I'm going to be, how you are, how you were, how you're going to be, how the world is, that's all playing God. It says, quit playing God, it doesn't work. So to me, in the third step, it talks about a God of our own understanding. I do not want a God of my own understanding. Because my own, own understanding is going to be framed by self. And that God of selfs is going to be a lesser God. Maybe you'll get a parking space at the meeting, but it's not going to radically shift you. It's not. It's not going to happen because the God of self is going to be what tells you if you, can, if you know God or not. I would say that's the bigger God. But if God is everywhere, <laughs> and you give up that special somewhere, you'll sense the presence. Because how could you not sense the presence? It's everywhere. Wherever you are must be in the context of everywhere, yeah? I mean, you're not living in a gated community of special somewhereness, and then the everywhereness is out there. Everywhere means everywhere, right where you are. Then why aren't you feeling the everywhere? Because my head is up to self's ass. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. The truth will verify itself in actualization, not in thought or in a book or anything like that. You will know the truth by living as it. You can't know the truth as a topic because that would make you the subject. Truth is the subject. So... What occurred with me when I've been looking at this for a while, what the head does quite a lot, it makes up a place called what's not happening. So let's say what's not happening has certain qualities. One of them is that anything can happen in what's not happening. Anything can happen. You can have cancer next week. You're going to be destitute, I'm telling you. Your girlfriend is going to be sleeping with your best friend next Friday. I know it. 
Yeah. So anything can happen in what's not happening. Yeah. Literally. And what occurs is... <laughs> if we're in this room and there's no impending threat right now, no one's pulling a gun or anything, and the only thing that you may be threatened by is being bored to death by me, but that's about it. So there's no threat... So if you were actually present here, you would re be responding to the safety of this room. You would relax. But if you're flipping out right now, you are reacting to what's not happening. Because I don't care how much you think about it, you cannot manifest next Friday into, what is tonight? Is it Wednesday night? And if you had a surveillance camera, and you were thinking that so much about next Friday, if you saw the tape of tonight, you were here as a body. You can never transport yourself to next Friday. Nor can you transport yourself to last Friday. All you can go is by thought. Yeah? And what causes me to go to thought there is the belief that I'm the thinker of the thoughts. Or they're about me. And the only way you can picture yourself in time, in the past or future, is as a body. So when you think about how you're going to be next week, you think of yourself as a body. That's called being identified as self. That is the root problem, and now you're suffering the effects of that problem. And when you're suffering the effects of the problem, the host wants to get rid of the effects of the parasite, but can't entertain being free of it. You have to see, you know, you've been in alcoholism. It's a hostile freaking parasite. When it takes us over, it is not a nice ride. It treats the host very badly. But if you also notice, it usually won't let you die, because you're the only host it has. So you'll, like, limp through life, have abscesses through life, live on the streets, but you freaking won't die. It's unbelievable. I've seen guys where I live in the San Francisco, they've been on our streets for 26 years. They're surviving like crazy. It's like they can't be killed. They've been run over by cars, shot at, everything. They just keep on ticking, because the parasite does not want to kill the host because then it wouldn't have any place to express through. Yeah. So, but it's a very hostile takeover. So let's say you ever see this sh big shark with a fish near it in the mouth. The fish have a pretty good deal, because they're getting the crumbs of the shark's food, and they have the security, because no other fish is going to attack them when it, they're near the big, great white mouth. But they're freaking greedy for this security. So they get a little powwow together. They say, listen, how can we make it even more secure for us? Why not, if we can convince the shark that it's us, then it will never leave us. Yeah? That's what's happened. The parasite has presented itself as you, and you become identified as it. Then it has full access to express itself into life through you. And then you're left but behind to clean up the mess. Yeah? It's incredible, isn't it? And all the while, no matter how hostile the expression is, you still obediently claim it to be yours. And then you harvest a huge crop of guilt and shame for what you think you did in the past. And yet, if you read the first step, what about when it says you were powerless over alcohol? That means to me, you were dancing with, with a gorilla, and you're going to stop when it wants to stop. You've got no say in the matter, and yet the head keeps believing it did those actions when you were totally possessed by alcoholism. So it goes back into those old things, and some of them happened 20 years ago. You're still harvesting the buds off the plant. 
you're still smoking up guilt and shame. It's a fucking dead plant. Move on. Yeah. Or you go into the future field of excessive concern about you, and then you go there into what's not happening, and what happens when that occurs, you download the effects of what's not happening into you in what's happening through the body. So you get nervous now, you get flipped out now, you get totally your mind racing now, that sense of anxiety builds up, and you're only you're reacting to what's not happening. What would be the solution to your reacting to what's not happening? Recognizing it's not happening. Yeah? So, beautiful thing is there is something called what's happening. It only has one quality what's not happening doesn't have, but that one quality is very important. And that is it's happening. Yeah? You may not like it much. Your mind may not like it. You may want to dwell in what's not happening because it seems to be more exciting not to be here. But that is the mind, the parasitical mind of alcoholism. It has an idea of the moment that it can't be in, but your mo the moment is your freaking solution to the bondage of self. Because what hap if you recognize what's happening, it's the antidote to what's not happening. So when your head starts running a big thing about what's not happening, if you could just recognize you're here, that's the antidote to going there. And when you're located here, this is where the higher power to me is. Because it's a present tense verb. It's, that's the word. It's called presence. It doesn't mean it's past tense or future tense. It's present. The only place it's real is in the only place that's real, which is now. You cannot meet a higher power in the past nor in the future because it doesn't exist there. That is the realm of selfing. The presence is now. But you're not going to feel the presence as its absence. And the identification as self is the act of denial of the presence by believing your presence. When you believe your presence as this, it seems as if that God that is everywhere is absent from this special somewhere. When this is dropped, when you realize I'm not that, the presence is felt. Yeah. And it becomes your guiding force. Not a thought, not a philosophy, not a book, but a guiding force. A living intelligent awareness that will download into you what you need to do. Not tons of information, just what you need to do next. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea... <laughs> so how can you go to what's not happening? Can you take a trip? Can you buy a ticket for next Friday? No, you would only be able to get there next Friday. By then it would be this Friday. The only way you go there is by thought. Why don't you have immunity to thought? Because you think they're yours and they're about you. That's the disease. It's identification. A thought has, just like this, if you put the word sex up here, money and relationships, yeah, they all have meaning. When you see it, especially if you're not having sex, it may mean more to you than other things. Yeah. So sex, money, and relationships. Has a, it means something. If you weighed it, it would weigh a certain amount. That's called meaning. But now you add the word my, my money, my sex, my relationships. Doesn't it weigh a lot more? Money, sex, relationships, yeah, has a little meaning. Change it incredibly. My money. You'll write a whole book about that. 
my sex, my relationships, more than one book. A whole serial. My, my, my. The my, the act of identification, it's a verb, is my. It's your mind identifying with what it made up. Yeah? And that what it made up, the whole system that made it up is infected with alcoholism. Alcoholism is in the mental process. So what is being made is an alcoholic self, which is going to be ravenous for its fuel. Because it can express itself through you when you're sober, but it really goes to town if you get loaded, as you know. Yeah. So here I am, I'm somewhat okay, maybe I'm going a little crazy in my head. And then, this is another point. This head, because it needs fuel, and it cannot pick up a beer. Alcoholism cannot pick up a beer. It doesn't have an arm to reach for the beer. It cannot put a needle in its arm. It doesn't have a ne- an arm nor a hand. But it takes over you, and then it brings you to the point where you'll want to do that shot and want to drink the beer against all empirical evidence to the contrary of how insane it is. You will be powerless over its takeover, and you will drink again. So there you are. As soon as you, what it usually does in my view, watching it over time through me and others, is let's say it starts Monday and it starts creating a little disquiet in you. Like everyone's out to get me. Yeah? Or I'm never going to have a relationship. And you start believing this false evidence and it starts appearing real to you. It never appears real to everyone else, only to you. So false evidence is being projected by the disease and then if you believe it, it appears real to you. It can't appear real to everyone. If you really think you're going to be destitute next Friday, not everyone is thinking they're going to be destitute by next Friday in this room. You are going to be the one that believes it. So here it is. It starts working on you, let's say on Monday, and, it's, and the fear gets built up Tuesday and Wednesday because now I know I'm going to be destitute on Friday. <laughs> so what happens is it brings you to a point, and I call it the fuck it. Yeah? It brings you to the point that you say fuck it. As soon as you say fuck it, it provides a lot of solutions what to do, which is let's get loaded. Let's sleep with my best friend's girlfriend. Let's rob that liquor store. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. And so now you comply with the wish and you start drinking. The genie comes out of the bottle. You thought you had trouble in relationship. Now you're up on stalking charges. Yes? Seriously. It becomes panoramic. It becomes as real as real can be. And what it always did with me was I had magnetic appeal to people in uniform when I drink. So as soon as I drank, it would turn into a melodrama, police melodrama, and light became like a giant piece of flypaper. For one moment of insanity, I paid for months of going to bureaucracy, going to court, getting urine tests, doing, going, meeting a public defender, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. For one expression of this insane parasite, it, it dictated the rest of my six months. This is the cost, and the payoff is what? You get a little relief from a false evidence that's appearing real. It's not even real relief, because what you're getting relief from isn't even real. And then, what seems to be real is the consequences, eh? So if you look at it at a payoff-cost ratio, it's a very bad deal. You're getting a very little payoff with a lot of cost. Where is the immunity? The immunity to the first drink 
See, so let's say that mind's talking to me, and it says, all right, Paul, I really need to have a drink. I'm not identified as that I it's talking about. That I represents self. I'm not that, and I have immunity. I see the suffering of that mind, but it's not me. So when, my, when its wish isn't complied to, it passes. Yes. So, ah, as in the part of the book I really like, I like a lot of parts, but there's this one part on page 84 when he starts talking about some of the results of entertaining, I believe, this possibility. Yeah? Of true reliance on something greater than self. Because it says in the book, why do I have so much fear? And it doesn't let you answer, which is a good move. You know, it just, there's a period, because you'd have a story about it, obviously. You blame somebody, or you. So it puts a period and says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us that we're in so much of this fear and anxiety? I don't believe it's fear. Fear fear to me is a valid emotion. I believe it's mental anxiety. And the mental anxiety, the mind has learned how to create the physiological effects of fear without any impending threat. It just thinks about stuff. And it sort of, sort of like zaps you all day, yeah? It's like buzzing you. This isn't going to last. It's going to be terrible next week. You know? Have you noticed, really, in your head, if you're having a good time, how long can you enjoy it before your mind starts saying, I'm a fraud, I don't deserve this. When are they going to find out who I really am? But the same head, if it's bummed out, says it's going to last forever. The bum out. The good is always shrunk, and the bad is always elongated. Do you want that to interpret your life for you? damn well you're going to want relief, and you'll do almost anything to get it. Go back to drinking and using, because you're on the short end of the freaking stick. Aren't you? Can you imagine working so hard? Let's say I had this babe I wanted to be with, biblically, you know. So I, <laughs> I go to the AA dances for no intention. I hate AA dances, really. Whatever. I go to that, and then about a year later, she finally says she'll go out with me, and I rent this... Uh, what if light lighthouse, yeah, with the spiral staircase. I got this beautiful dinner and I got Kenny G music pumped in the candles up. And this is gonna be the big night. I'm gonna go out with my fairy princess, yeah. She's gonna save me. It's all gonna be different when I'm with her. <laughs> After about seven fairy princesses you see through that illusion, but this is my first one, so what can I do? <laughs> so I had a lot of hope. Please, this is gonna help me. This is gonna save me. Of course, she has to tell me. You're not meant to save me. I don't need to be saved. So, there it is. So, I work really hard. And I'm really, I mean everything. And so, I get to that point, and I'm walking up the stairs, and she's up there, scantily clad, whatever. And, I'm, and my mind is rejoicing. This is going to be the culmination of all my self-seeking. <laughs> Thank you, God, for helping me. I got what I want. So, then I'm walking, and I'm just right there. And as soon as I'm ready to dive in, my mind says, did you leave the stove on at home? I can't enjoy the situation. Yes? That's exactly what it's like. Exactly what it's like. Yes? If you and I had five extra thoughts in a certain situation, we'd be in jail for 30 years right now. You have no immunity of thought. So if you would have five extra thoughts in a certain situation and there was a gun available and you said, I'm going to pick up that gun and shoot that person, and there was a gun and you shot him, you would be now suffering the consequences of that for 40 years. And it wasn't even you that did it. You were possessed and you had no immunity to it. So you're at the effect of its whims. 
I've seen it. I know people in jail that killed someone in a blackout. They had no idea why they're in San Quentin and they're in there for the rest of their life. Can you imagine living with that? You don't have no idea why you're even there, and yet that there is seemingly so impacting you. Jeez, this is what this parasite can do. We need an immunity to it. To me, as they say in the book, the immunity is a spiritual awakening, not a spiritual experience. A spiritual experience is what yourself thinks it had. Yeah. A spiritual awakening is not an experience. It's a state that becomes consistent. A spiritual experience is, have, have you ever had an epiphany? You ever had one of those moments of clarity? Yeah. Did you, did you ever make a reservation for it? Did you ever knew it was coming? Did you? Oh, I, got, I made a reservation. I'm going to have an hour epiphany next week. <laughs> Got to rent that nice place with the hot tub and everything. Yeah. No, it sort of interrupts your little linear story, doesn't it? You're walking around in the narrative of Paul, and then suddenly there ain't no Paul for about an hour, half hour. What happens in that? I've watched it because it's happened to me. The epiphany basically ends when a thought arises that you listen to and your head says, I had, I'm having this epiphany. As soon as that is self, that is self, that is the mental process arising and covering up its freaking tracks because life has just demonstrated its total irrelevance and it becomes relevant once again by claiming the epiphany as an experience it had. An epiphany, you've never had an epiphany. That's why it occurred. As soon as you have the epiphany, it stops. Notice it. Watch out. So the head is, there's an epiphany that demonstrated to me my true condition, but it's bookended by a story of Paul, who was Paul before the epiphany, and the one who had the epiphany. I have just neutered the event of the epiphany. It's become a spiritual experience I, as a self, had. And therefore, it's neutered, because it's really a revelation of your true condition. It's not a passing experience that you, as this true condition, is having. This is not a true condition. This is contrived. Seriously. You are not the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling. There's just seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling. You're in, you are the conscious contact. What happens is conscious contact is occurring and your head arises and claims it. Because that's the biggest motivator of selfing is claiming everything that goes on. So it claims the thoughts as I'm the thinker of them. You're not the thinker of a thought. You see thoughts like an eye sees a bird. Your consciousness. Consciousness recognizes thoughts like an eye sees a bird. You're just seeing thoughts that are being produced by your conditioning. Yes? You're meant, you're, most of every thought is the past. It's all coming out of the past. We use the word resentment in AA, to, which means to re-feel something. Every feeling is a re-feeling. Everything is being rehashed. Everything is being rethought. Everything is being represented. Your head says, claims the conscious contact and, and presents it as a story about you. But it isn't a story about you. Life is not happening to me. Life is happening through this. Life is not happening to me. If life is happening to me, I can have tons of opinions about what should and shouldn't be happening. And that's all selfing is. It just entertains an option it doesn't actually have. Your nature is optionless. You are spirit. You are not a body. 
So if a body, if you're identified as a body, then all you can do is try to become a spiritual body, which is pointless. But if you are spirit, why would you want to try to become spirit? You are spirit. To me, this was the saving grace. I woke up to my nature, not my nature, but the nature that is living as this, and that nature is the solution to what I thought I was. By revealing it as, I'm not that. So, here I am, all these trains of thoughts come into this station. For me to get on the train of thought, I have to be a passenger. That's the idea of being a self. I'm actually like the station. I see all the thoughts, and the thoughts have names on the side. Local to hell, express to hell, another terrible situation I shouldn't go to, all these things. And yet, because you're identified as you always enter the train, and you're going to get hurt when you jump off a moving train. <laughs> you know, the, more, the faster it's going, the worse it's going to be. The point is, if I'm not a passenger and I'm the station, then all the trains are coming through, but they never, never define the station. So I, to me, in a sense, I'm consciousness, and I'm witnessing or experiencing a mental process producing a sense of being Paul, but I'm not that product. Yeah, to me, that's the spiritual condition. That's what's worked in my life. And it's been, I started to enter, let's say I was introduced to this way of looking at it about, I don't know, how many years, 12, 13, 14, I don't even know. But the thing is, it was put to the test. And it, the promise for me isn't that it will change the geography of my life, if I'm supposed to, as a body, get cancer, that may happen. If I get a job and get fired, that may happen. But it will allow me to travel over all the terrain of my life. Yes? I'll travel lighter through each and every day. I mean, what better gift would you like? Yeah. If you have an option of traveling heavy and traveling lighter. So in AA, you know, the, one of the highest things to do in AA is to surrender in our society, I think. But if you look at surrender... What, is, what makes up a surrender? To me, there is a forgetfulness of your admittance of being powerless. Yeah? The power that's flowing through you, the self starts claiming it again. And it starts thinking it's the one who has power. Usually that creates certain consequences. And if you're lucky, it brings you to a point that we call surrender, where you get Zen bitch slapped. <laughs> and you get startled into what? Admitting your powerlessness again. Yeah? And the funny thing is, what I've noticed is if you admit your powerlessness, you never experience powerlessness. If you try to exert power, that's the only time you experience powerlessness here. Because people aren't going to do what you want them to do, obviously. Yeah? But if I stay in the admittance of powerlessness, I'm in constant power. So if you see the principles and you actually see them in your life, you have the possibility to become convinced of what's been taught to us. And then the surrender becomes surrendered. You basically live from that sense of powerlessness and you're always in a state of power. Yeah. You don't have to forget to get your ass kicked because you may not come back. I've seen a lot of people who leave AA and they assume AA is going to be exactly the same as when they left. And AA is, but they're not. Yeah, that compulsion has come back and they don't like where the solution is being dispensed. 
And before, the compulsion was removed, and they loved the AA meetings. Now they don't. And some, this one lady I know, she's been struggling for 16 years coming in and out. And she had 10 years straight, solid sobriety. She went out because she was bored, and she thought she'd be able to come back very easily. But when she got back, she was totally different. That compulsion was on her again. She opened the door to the parasite. The parasite took her over, and she had no defense against it. For me, this revelation of I am a spiritual condition is the defense that works. Because I can't be directed by thoughts, because let's, we used it tonight. Let's say someone is in the other room I'm interested in. It. And so I want to see what she's talking about, because I'm hoping she's talking about me, you know. And if she says, hey, I like that guy, then I'll think, hey, I can ask without being afraid of being rejected too much, so I'll ask her out. So I'm very interested, so I'm doing this little meeting or whatever, and, but my interest and attention is trying to listen through the wall. And someone says, hey, Paul, you're supposed to be here. And I go, I agree with them totally, but I can't seem to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and someone grabs my shoulder and says, come on, come back here. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I really want to, but I seem not to be able to. And I'm really intently listening. And suddenly she says something, but it's about Matt. My name is Paul, by the way, right? It's about Matt. <laughs> as soon as I hear it's about Matt, what occurs? I lose interest. Yeah. I don't have to take a three-month workshop to stop listening to a, a conversation in another room. I lose interest immediately. And when you lose interest, you don't lose interest. You just lose interest in that object. Interest isn't a quantity. There's no quantity of interest and attention. It's like, to me, infinite. Yeah. So you don't lose interest. You lose interest in what the interest is in. So I lose interest in that, and immediately I'm where? Right where I've been. That's what, exactly what it's like. When the head, this narration going on in your head, when it's held not to be about you, you will lose interest in it. The obsession with self will diminish in and of itself because you will stop pumping your interest into it. But if you're identified as self, you're going to always wrestle with obsession because the obsession is how the mental process reinforces the identification. You think it's about you, don't you? Or you think you're the thinker of it. Every thought that's going on in your head, I bet you there's a belief that you think you're the thinker of those thoughts. That's the bonding to self. You're not the thinker of those thoughts. Those thoughts are generated from self-centeredness. It's a mental process. And you are not the product of that mental process. You can be identified as the product of the mental process, and voila. So peace will always be conditional and circumstantial, but never lasting. The irritability, restlessness, and discontent will be the chronic, constant state. And every once in a while, you'll feel peace and some faith. Instead of having it the other way around, when the faith and the peace is the, is the chronic state, and then every once in a while, you have spikes of anxiety when the parasite acts up. And the idea of faith, everyone in this room has tons of faith. Tons of faith. You don't need one more ounce of faith. You have tons of it. In my experience, in this place, faith manifests in what vehicle you put it in. Most of us have total faith in our thoughts, and that's why you're in so much anxiety. How could you be concerned about next Friday? It's not here. You must be listening to the thoughts that can make next Friday seem to be here. You're a devotee to the thoughts. It's your faith that makes the false evidence appear real. It's your faith in those thoughts. If that faith is broken from that 
bondage to self, and it goes into your real nature, you'll have an immunity to those thoughts. Those thoughts will not frame or define your life. You'll be like a free-range alcoholic. You won't have to live near the coop all day. You'll be able to run around and have a freaking life because it's not yours. Yeah? And then you live that pr- principle of you have it by giving it away. Do, have you ever met a cocaine dealer that practiced that principle? <laughs> I never did. He had the coke by giving it away? No, no. In this realm of the third dimension, there's different rules in the fourth dimension. One of the fourth dimensional rules is you have this truth by giving it away. It can't be privatized or owned because there's no you to have it. You are its vehicle. It would like to express itself through you, but when you're identified as self, the parasite will. You're going to be used for an expression. Some, something is going to come through you and express into this life. It could be the parasite or it could be what you call the higher power. It's up to you in a sense. Yeah? For me, but if it's up to you as a self, even if you believe the higher power is expressing, it will still be self. Okay, that's the dilemma with this disease. In a book it says, we have a little more time, yeah? Everyone all right with it? All right, all right. So let's say, it says in the book, perhaps there's a better way. Trusting something infinite rather than finite self. Yeah? I mean, it's a beautiful statement. Perhaps there's a better way. Trusting something infinite rather than finite self. Okay, so we are all beaten up, most of us. And if you're convinced, then there's a sincere desire to leave that system called self-centeredness, yeah? Or self-reliance, because it's failed us. We're just an expression of it, yeah? You're an expression of what principles you, you have been relying on. So you're relying on the principles of self-centeredness. They're not reliable principles, so your life looks exactly like it should look, in a sense. Yeah. So you decide you want to go to this power greater than self. But if the root of the problem isn't obsession, but it's identification of self, it's very tricky because you will think you're leaving self-centeredness, but you're leaving it as a self. And then that self will be the one that practices the solution and it will neuter the true ability or the true results that could happen in AA because it will be the self practicing it. Yeah. It's tricky. Really, how many people totally identify with all the problems expressed in the book but very rarely identify with all the expressions of the solution? What happened? We totally identify with all the details of what it's like to be an alcoholic, but we don't identify with all the details of what it's like to be free from alcoholism. Obviously, because we're not free from alcoholism. Because we're not free from the identification itself. I mean, I believe, you know, the people in AA only had four years when they wrote this book. People are supposed to add on to it when we come back. Some of us have 20, 50, 40 years of living sober. More has been revealed. Let's not get too dogmatic and shut ourselves off to further investigations, especially if what you're practicing isn't producing the fruits that you'd like to see. I don't want a conditional happiness, joy, and freedom. I want to be inherently happy, joyous, and free. And I cannot be that as a self, because the self always has the absence and presence of things. So you feel great, and then you feel terrible. It can't have just one. But there is a peace that passeth all understanding here. And that peace, to me, is revealed as you. Not to you. As you. So hallelujah, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hallelujah. And the 
thing is, this is just an imitation. It is not, because anything self comes up against, it'll try to take advantage of. So you'll maybe fuck yourself with this message. It's not, that's not its point. And it's not, it's not meant to substitute for anything in AA. It is just one <coughs> tribe member sharing with you, because you're in the same tribe I'm in, uh, something that they fell upon. And maybe it will help you, and maybe it won't. But it's, I think you have the right to hear it. Yeah, I really do. Because if everyone was happy, joyous, and free, there would be no need to inquire anymore. We would have been on to something. But if you're not, if it's not becoming a lasting state, and maybe you can't believe it's a possibility, I'm saying it's a possibility. It can become more of a lasting state than it is now for you. But not as a you. <laughs> so, that's why in St. Francis it says you have to die to the self to be reborn or it's in self-forgetting that everything gets great exactly why it's your absence which is the presence if you're identified as you trying to feel the presence it will always be sporadic because you're its absence you're being so obsessed with this is the absence of the presence it's not the true absence because there cannot be an absence in everywhere but it can seemingly be absent because you're so present yeah? So when I get true humility, when true right-sizedness is, is entertained, it's actually the declaration of this absence as being me, and that's the sense of presence. Yeah. Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. It's not a story. It'll, it works just as well Monday at 11 o'clock than Friday at 8. It's always available at all times. And, it's, and what's so beautiful, there's no requirement necessary because there is one, you'd make up one that would keep you unqualified for it. You'd always have to believe you have to do something and have something to get there. You cannot get to everywhere. You're in it. Yeah? You'd have to be in a special somewhere to make a path or a journey from special somewhere to everywhere. Everywhere in, is defined as everywhere. So wherever you are, you're in it. And the center of everywhere is everywhere. There's no center in everywhere that you're on the, I'm way over here in everywhere, and I have to travel to the center of everywhere. Everywhere is the center in everywhere. So you're located right where it is, bro. <laughs> Hallelujah, I think. To me, it's good news. So if the mental process is where the disease is, it's like someone who has diabetes. You take the medicine for the apparatus. Yes? So that the mental processes, the infection can go down. So some of, the, some of the consciousness that's wedded to that mental process can lift off and now become aware of itself. So consciousness becomes aware of awareness. That's spiritual awakening. Yeah? Consciousness, aware is this, trying to become aware is pointless. You'll never become aware as this. You are awareness. I don't know. There you go, have it. Any questions? Hopefully not. <laughs> You've been served. Yeah. Spiritual subpoena. Yeah. Hey. <laughs>